Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Wouldn't it have been funny if I said I'm not pleased with the progress we're making in Romans, so we're going back to Matthew 15 and working our way forward from there again. Matthew, Romans 15, verse 1. How many of you like the Jungle Book? I'm glad four of you do, along with me. In a world that provided my kids with Barney and Caillou, I can't tell you how thankful I was as a parent and a man for crying out loud that I got to watch the Jungle Book every once in a while. Every time one of my children whined, I'm convinced it was because we let them watch Caillou. If you aren't familiar with Caillou, he is of the devil, let me tell you that. I like the Jungle Book. Rudyard Kipling wrote it in the second Jungle Book. uh, You'll find these words. Now this is the law of the jungle, as old and as true as the sky. And the wolf that shall keep it may prosper, but the wolf that shall break it must die. As the creeper that girdles the tree trunk, The law runneth forward and back, for the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. All of us as Christians and as churches certainly know, should know, that our strength comes from the Lord. And that's true. Uh, We would have no strength were it not for Him and the strength that we find through His Spirit and in His Word. But it's equally true that the local church is only as strong as the Christians that make it up. It's also true that the individual Christians in a church are only as strong as the church, particularly as it relates to the unity of that church of which they're a part. Last Sunday morning here in Romans 15, we began to read and study and talk about working for unity. And this passage, this thought, is set within the context of Paul having spent the entire previous chapter And continuing the theme into this chapter, he's talking about issues of gray. Those issues that the Bible doesn't specifically condone nor condemn. I would suggest that that is simply the context because the bigger context is unity. He's written about unity uh, in chapter 14. He's written about unity here in chapter 15 through bringing up how we're to deal with these issues of gray. Unity is something that we have as believers. It's something that we've been given by God in salvation through being made a part of His church. But it's also something that we must work to preserve and to keep. That's what I mean by working for unity. So let's read the passage again, beginning in verse 1, Romans chapter 15. 
says, now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us must please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even the Messiah did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. I told you last Sunday morning that in this passage of Scripture we find five things that we must do, five things that we're going to be doing as individuals if we're working for unity. We covered the first two last week. We first saw that if we're working for unity, we must seek to please others. It's a key to unity within the church, within a family, within a marriage, within working relationships, within friendships for unity to be maintained and unity to be strengthened. As individuals, we must seek to please others. That means that we have to set aside the natural desire that we have to please ourselves primarily. We must sacrifice in this way. And we must bear the weaknesses of others, even if sometimes they are the weakness themselves, the burden that must be borne. We must work for their good primarily rather than working for our own. And working for their good was defined as what would build them up, what would edify them. So if we're working for unity, we're going to seek to please others. Then the second thing that we saw that we must be doing if we're working for unity is we must look to the example of Jesus. For even Jesus did not seek to please himself, it said in verse 3. He sought to please others. He sought to please his Father, even if that meant him taking on the insults that had been heaped on his Father, all in the name of serving others. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom of many. So we're to continually look to the example of Jesus as an example of how we're to deal with other people, but as a motivation as well for how we're to deal with other people within the body of Christ. Because if Jesus did it that way, then certainly we can do it that way. That brings us to where we pick up this morning. It is with the third thing that we must be doing, the third thing that we will be doing if we're working for unity. And that is listen to the Scriptures. Listen to the Scriptures. If we're working for unity, we're never going to be far from the Scripture. 
We're going to be reading it individually. We're going to be reading it in our homes. We're going to be listening to it when we have the opportunity to do so. We're going to be involved in occasions or opportunities for study like Sunday school classes. Uh, If we're physically able, we're going to be faithful in attending our worship services where the Word of God is preached. Because a big part of working for unity is listening to the Scriptures. Scriptures that have so much to say about unity. About how we work, things that we must do to keep it and to preserve it. When I say that in order to work for unity, we're going to listen to the Scriptures, I take it from verse 4. He says, therefore, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. What led him to write verse 4 is what he had previously written in verse 3. And if you look back to verse 3, you'll see the last part of it is a quote from the Old Testament, Psalm 69 and verse 9, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. And it was a passage that was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus and by Jesus. In his effort not to seek to please himself, he sought to please his father. And what pleased his father was him coming to live and to die and to serve people, the people that he would save. Even if it meant his taking upon himself all of the insults and all of the rejection that had been aimed at his father for many, many years. So as he quoted from the Old Testament It leads Paul, it leads the Spirit to lead Paul to write, for whatever was written in the past, like Psalm 69.9, was written for our instruction. That's why I say that we must listen to the Scriptures. Because they're a a precious treasure that's been given to us by God to instruct us. They instruct us, every one of them do, all of them do. When Paul referenced the Scriptures here, he was talking about the Old Testament. But we know that he was in the process of being one of those that would write the New Testament as well. And all of them have been written for our instruction. Are you one of those Christians or have you been one of those Christians who down through the years have thought, I don't do too well in the old in the New Testament, but at least I get some of it. the Old Testament, uh, that's for somebody else. Have you ever thought that? Just, I, I can handle the New Testament, the Old Testament, it is foreign to me. I, I think one of the benefits of our reading through the Bible this year as a church family and talking about it on Sunday nights is the Old Testament isn't really so old, is it? More than once, uh, we've made the comment on Sunday nights that a lot of the Old Testament, if you were to take out the dated stuff, 
would read just like things that you'd read today. People are really no different. The world's not all that much different, ultimately. And all of it has been written for our instruction. That's why we ought to be reading all of it. That's why we ought to be teaching and sharing and preaching all of it. These scriptures provide instruction and specifically they provide for us instruction about working for unity. Why are we even talking about working for unity this morning and last week? Because the scripture's talking about it, right? And they're providing for us here in Romans 15 instruction about things that we will do, things that we must do if individually we're working for unity. But the instruction that's provided by Scripture doesn't simply stop with the subject of working for unity, does it? The Scripture literally provides us with instruction for everything that we would need to do as the people of God. They have been breathed by God so that we, the men and the women of God, may be perfect, complete, totally equipped for whatever good work God wants us to do. Listen to the Scriptures. They provide instruction. We're to listen to the Scriptures as well because they provide hope. That's what it said in verse 4. They provide us with hope. And the hope comes from this instruction. The hope would be, if God didn't think we could do it, He wouldn't have written about it. They provide us hope that we can really be this kind of believer. We can really have this kind of church. They provide us with a hope of unity. Even as we read passages like we've been studying the last couple of Sunday mornings, beneath it is there is this implied hope that through the power of God in us, we can do this. Or at the very least, we can do this better than what we're doing it right now. They provide us with hope. Now you know like I do though that the hope that's spoken of here isn't fulfilled uh, when talking about the hope of unity. It's talking about our ultimate hope, isn't it? We're to always be listening to the Scriptures because in the Scriptures we are provided with our ultimate hope. A hope that's tied around the coming of Jesus, the coming again of Jesus. His coming to our broken, fallen, sinful, mixed up world. Upside down world. And turning everything right side up forever. Of His mending and fixing everything that's broken and making it right. Of His fulfilling what the story of Humpty Dumpty couldn't do. He's broken and he's fallen and, and nobody can put him back together again. And that's life. That's a story of life. We live in a broken and cracked and fallen world and we try our best to put ourselves back together again and put the world back together again. But we're just spinning our wheels Jesus, though, is coming to put Humpty Dumpty, if you will, back together again. 
and it won't ever be broken. Never, ever again. This is our hope, the hope of heaven. The Scriptures provide us with this hope. And they do it, it says in verse 4, through endurance. Hope enables us to endure. That's why we keep enduring. But here's the thing. As we endure, our hope is strengthened. Did you catch that? We are able to endure because we have hope. But as we endure, the hope that enables us to endure is strengthened itself. So keep enduring. And it's from the Scripture that we find this hope, this hope that comes from endurance. Scriptures like this one that command us and challenge us to endure. Scriptures like the one that we studied this past Sunday night, Revelation chapter 3, where it talks about the command to endure, one that we find throughout Scripture. And I said then that enduring in faith doesn't keep our salvation, but it sure demonstrates that we have it. It's a word of caution to us, a word of warning to us, a word through which God works in His elect's hearts to to make them, to motivate them to endure. Listen to the Scriptures. They provide hope through endurance. And they provide as well, according to verse 4, Hope through encouragement. Does the Scripture encourage you? Those of you that are reading the Bible through this year and and following along with, with the plan that we're using, this past week, even in a book that's as difficult as Isaiah, a lot of darkness, a lot of judgment there, a lot of talk about sin, And wrath. But even in the midst of that, did you find anything that encouraged you this week? Sure we do. Even in those prophetic books that are all about judgment, there are nuggets of encouragement sprinkled throughout. Listen to the Scriptures. They provide us with this hope A hope that is made greater through the encouragement that we get from Scripture. So if we're working for unity, we're going to be listening to the Scriptures. Not listening to our heart. Not listening to the world. Not listening to everyone else. But listening primarily to the Scriptures. The fourth thing that we find in our passage that we must be doing and will be doing if we're working for unity is that we'll pray for it. We'll pray for it. I take this from verse 5, which is Paul's prayer for the unity of the church at Rome. Look at it and see if you don't see it that way, this way. This is a prayer. Now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement allow you to live in harmony with one another according to the command of Christ Jesus. What does that sound like to you? 
Well, he's just started praying. He's been telling them about unity. He's been teaching them about unity and teaching us. He's been teaching them about the things that they must do to work for it. And then in verse 5, he just bursts forth in praying for it. And I take from that that one of the things that we must do if we're working for unity is to pray for it as well. He asked that this God who gives us this encouragement and this endurance, that He would also allow us to live in harmony. Those of you that like music, would you agree with me that melody is great, but harmony is even better? Nothing tickles my ears more than to hear harmony, tight harmony with all the parts. Cherished memories of growing up, sitting around a piano, hearing harmony. The old song says, Daddy sang bass, Mama sang tenor. Now that wasn't so in my family. Daddy sang lead because that's all Daddy can sing. Mama can sing any of it. Little sister, she joined right in there singing alto from about three years old. Little Micah, he just sang loud whatever he sang. Harmony. The thing about harmony is that everybody's not singing the same note, are they? That's what makes it harmony. I have heard quartets in churches over the years. I'm not talking about the kind that come in buses. I'm talking about the kind that will sing in churches. And they'll talk about this guy sings bass and this guy sings tenor and this guy sings this. And what it all is, they all just sing melody. And it ain't real melodious. The bass guy just sings a a lower melody note. The tenor guy just sings a higher melody note. It's not a harmony. It's all the same notes. Harmony is different notes being sung. And when it's done right, they all blend together. And they're very beautiful. So that even if we don't know anything about music, we know what we like. And that sounds good. Now I would add, That when people are singing different notes and they aren't harmonious, nothing is uglier. It makes us want to stop our ears up. It makes us see the sin inside of us and say, why am I so critical, Lord? Why am I so judgmental? If not saying, why do I have to be here this morning, Lord? May God... Allow us to live in harmony. Not all of us singing the same note, but whatever note we're singing, they'd all blend together and be beautiful to Him. It's a prayer. I told you last Sunday morning, and I mentioned it again at the beginning today, that we are united. Every genuine Christian is united with with other Christians. We're united whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not. We're united based on the fact that we all have a common experience. Every believer does. And that common experience is that we've been saved by grace. 
We're recipients of the grace of God. We have experienced the grace of God in transforming our lives. We're united because we also have a common mission. And that mission is to glorify God. And to make it even more specific, that mission is to make disciples. Because in making disciples, we glorify God. We have this common experience, this common mission as well of of taking the gospel to our community and our friends and to the world. We're united because we have a common faith. A common faith dependence, trust on Jesus for salvation. And we have a a common faith that is a common body of beliefs that set us apart as being Christian. We're united because we're part of the same family. In local churches, we're a part of the same local family. We're a part of the same body. Listen to Galatians chapter 3. You can turn there if you'd like. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 26, as it speaks about the unity that we have, that we already have. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. And there is no Jew or Greek Slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You would read virtually the same thing in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. And this must be our focus as we're dealing with each other. That we are united. There's something that binds us. And that should motivate us to strengthen the unity that we already have to preserve it and to keep it. As we heed the words of the psalmist in the opening words of the 133rd Psalm when he wrote, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. In Acts chapter 4 verse 32, We read that this is what characterized the early church. It says, now the large group of those who believed were of one heart and mind. That's unity. And that's what we're to pray for. Let's make our way very quickly through what the New Testament says about unity. Just a few passages, several passages. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. You're not that far from it in Romans 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. It says, Now I urge you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, And that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. A lot of agreement there, right? A lot of unity. A lot of same. Two weeks ago as I was thinking about this, I jotted down on that week's messenger. 
that unity is not simply an absence of disagreement. It's the presence of agreement. There are people that don't have any fights going on that aren't united. Certainly an absence of disagreement would be a part of unity. But the presence of agreement is a step further. And that's what we're working for. That's what we should be working for. What can we agree on? Not just what can we agree on, but what should we agree on? What should be this one mind, this one voice, this one purpose that's spoken of here that that unites us? I would suggest it's not simply because it's our mission statement, but it is our mission statement because it's Scripture to glorify God by making disciples. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20. Paul writes here, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I will not find you to be what I want, and I may not be found by you to be what you want. His fear was that he would come to them and find what he had heard about them in his absence. There may be quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. All words that have nothing to do with unity and all things that destroy unity. Look down to chapter 13 in the same letter, verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, become mature, be encouraged, be of the same mind. And that would be the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ was to do the will of His Father, to glorify His Father. This should be our mind as well. The serving of souls. Be of the same mind. Listen to this. Be at peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Do you hear our responsibility in that? All the time, churches are praying that God would be with them. When God has said here, if you'll be with each other, I'll be with you. Basically. If you'll be at peace with each other, then the God of peace, I, the God of peace, will be with you. Flip over to Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. I'm going to skip a couple of books. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I want, I want you to notice what he associates with living in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or am absent... I will hear about you that you were standing firm in one spirit with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. That's what it means to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. The people of God having one mind, that mind being taking the gospel to people, giving the gospel to the people that are a part of that church family. Look at chapter 2 in Philippians verses 1 and 2. 
If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. This is the unity that we're to work for. So we must pray for it. So we must pray for it like Paul did in Romans 15. He prayed for it because he understood that whatever God would have us to do, we need the help of God to do it. And we must pray for it as well because we understand that even while we're working for unity, there are forces that are working against our unity, right? Nod your head if you get that. There are forces that are working against our unity. Primarily that force originates in Satan and his demons. There's even a sinful force within each of us that's working against our unity. We've got to realize that in the way, the primary way that we combat it is through praying for God to grant it to us. To allow us to have it. And working to preserve it and to keep it. We must pray for it because Paul did, but even more so, we must pray for it because this is what Jesus prayed for, the unity of the church. Turn to John chapter 17 and look at verse 11. This is often called, John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It's a a prayer that's of the utmost significance because He prayed it in preparation for his death. This is his recorded prayer, the big recorded prayer before he's going to leave the earth. So the words take on all the more power. Listen to what he prayed for primarily. It was the the number one subject in regards to his followers. Verse 11 Jesus is praying and he says, I am no longer in the world, but they, the apostles, is what he's talking about here, are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. The example for the unity that they were to have, the example for the unity that we are to have is the unity that exists within the Trinity. And it's the foundation of our unity, the unity that exists between one God who is three distinct persons in Father, Son, and Spirit, and they're completely united, singing in harmony all the time. Well, then you go down to verse 20. And Jesus says, I pray not only for these, that is, I pray not only for my followers right now, the apostles, but I also pray for those who who will believe in me through their message, and that would include us. Here was his prayer. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us. Why? So the world may believe that you sent me. Notice the connection between the unity of the church and our success in evangelizing the world. Where there is no unity, there's no real hope for evangelism and impacting the community. We're to 
to live in such a way that those that are apart from us would be drawn to being a part of a group and a family such as this local body. Verse 22, he says, I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you love me. If we're working for unity, we're going to be praying for it. Final thing in Romans 15. If we're working for unity, we must seek to glorify God. I take this from verse 6. So, and what's he been writing in verse 5? Unity. May God give us unity. Harmony. So that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with a united mind and voice. Not only is our unity connected to evangelism, but it's also connected to our glorifying God. It works like this. When local churches are united, they glorify God. When local churches are not united, they do not glorify God. And whatever the level of unity is, the glory of God, the glory that He receives in the community is directly related to that. So we're to seek to glorify God. That's how we get along with others. That's how we get along within the church. goes back into the first thing. We seek to please others. But here we're taking it a step further. We're not merely seeking to please others. Really, we're seeking to please one other, aren't we? And that's God. Do you know then how we please God? By seeking to please others. In whatever we do, behind our doing it should be, does this glorify God? How does this glorify God? When we deal with others, when we deal with others that are different, when we deal with differences in the church on issues of gray and and other things, our thought is to be, not how can I win this argument, but how can I glorify God? How is God glorified the most in this? Well, that brings us to the question, what does it mean to glorify God? Glory, the word, the root word of glorify, speaks of the splendor of God, the majesty of God, the greatness of God. How awesome God is in all of His way. That's the glory of God, His perfections, His holiness, His righteousness, the the sum of, of all that He is, all of His attributes. This is the glory of God. To glorify God then would mean to give unto Him the praise and the honor and the worship and the obedience and the trust and the love that He deserves because of the glory that He has. In this context, when it speaks of our glorifying God, it's talking about the way that we must work for unity 
so that those outside of the local church are able to see the glory, the greatness, the splendor, the majesty of God the most clearly. God is glorious in a way that everybody should be able to see it. But because of our world, because of sin, because of its fallenness, people don't see the glory of God. In many cases, one of the things that keeps lost unchurched people from seeing the glory of God is the people of God. You with me? I know it's late. You with me? Can you see how sometimes we prevent people from seeing the glory of God beginning with me? When I act in a way that's ungodly, people aren't seeing the glory of God. They're seeing the lack of glory of man. When people see churches that don't get along and aren't united and are headed in 50 different directions or 500 different directions, depending on how many people are in the church, they aren't seeing the glory of God. They're just seeing what they see every day in their own lives and in their own world just within the context of the church. And in that it becomes just another group. Just another club. But the way that the unchurched world around us sees the glory of God is when a bunch of different people set aside what they want and what's best for them and work together for the group but ultimately work together for their God. And when that happens, and it does, and it can, the lost world takes notice because it's not something that they see all the time. Have you heard of the movie that's come out recently, When the Game Stands Tall, about the team in Northern California that won 150-something games in a row in football, De La Salle High School. It was based on a book that was written about 10 years ago and their, their, their tremendous coach. The coach says that football in itself isn't glorious. It doesn't stand tall by itself. It's too violent. It's too, too many other things. But he says the game does stand tall when a group of individuals work together in perfect harmony for the good of the group and not the good of themselves. Now, folks, God stands tall all the time, but sometimes people just don't see Him standing tall. But they can see Him standing tall when we do that as a church. And we ought to be willing to do whatever work it takes to preserve and to keep and to strengthen this type of unity. Are you working for unity? It takes you, it takes me, it takes every member of this church to work for unity individually. Are you seeking to please others? Are you looking to the example of Jesus? Are you listening to the scriptures? Are you praying for it? Are you seeking to glorify God? It's worth it. And we should be doing it. 
And for times when we're not doing these things, we should be the very first one to acknowledge it. Hey, I'm not working for unity right now. I'm not speaking for unity right now. I'm not preserved. This isn't helping the unity of our church at all. There are times I don't. There are times that you don't. I pray that God would help us to recognize those times when we're guilty of working against unity rather than for it. One other question. As an individual, are you sure that you have this unity that I'm talking about? I'm not talking about uh, unity as a church. I'm asking, do you have, to begin with, this unity of God? This unity with other people of God that you have to have before you can work to keep it. You can't work to provide this unity that I'm talking about. It's unity with Him that only comes as you're united to Christ in faith. Are you turning from your sins and trusting on Jesus to save you? You can't work to provide it, but Jesus has paid it all to provide everyone who will trust on Him for salvation with this unity with Him and this unity through Him to His Father. If you aren't sure about that, or if you are sure that you don't have it, I pray today that you would hear the words of Scripture, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And if you do, then let somebody know about it, maybe even me. Primarily, let somebody know about it by being baptized. Love to talk with you about it. Let's stand together.